the College Planning Edge. Multiply your odds of getting into your dream college and get your hands on thousands of dollars of fat, juicy scholarships. Brought to you by Lockwood College Prep, helping college-bound families get the edge in college admissions, financial aid, scholarships, and test prep. So this episode of the College Planning Edge was originally a webinar that I did live for a local library here in Long Island, the Syosset Public Library, that was entitled How to Get Financial Aid and Merit Aid in Today's Turbulent <coughs> Times. Excuse me. Um, so what you'll hear is my presentation. I worked through some slides, which obviously you can't see in this podcast, and it took a lot of questions from folks. Maybe you have some of the same questions. Uh, the whole thing was a little bit over an hour, so um, I hope you kick back, put your feet up, grab your favorite beverage, and relax and get some good value out of this episode. Good evening. Welcome to tonight's webinar, Event Extravaganza, How to Get Financial Aid and Merit Aid in Today's Turbulent Times. Might be the understatement of the century, turbulent times. I'm Andy Lockwood, and welcome. So... Uh, real quick, I wanted to make sure you had the outline. You know, when you signed up, you should have gotten the outline for tonight. So that is posted. And the other thing, I don't know if I can do two things at the same time. So you, ha you, you should check your email. If you are the outline type and you want to follow along at home, keep score. I've got some fill in the blanks for you. And so let me uh, remove that now because you should have gotten that already. Um. I want to give you this, my book, as a reward for being punctual, for showing up on time. I believe in a system of rewards and punishments. <laughs> so um, if you are here right now, you are welcome. Uh, I don't know if it's going to work if you've already done this before in one of my past webinars, but um, you can grab a copy of my best-selling book, the latest one. Uh, we cranked out a few months ago how to negotiate your crappy financial aid merit aid offer. So if you're just joining us, that will be on the screen here for a few more moments. And I want to go over some of the ground rules. Uh, we've got some celebrity help in the background. Pearl Lockwood, Pearl Chisner Lockwood, my wife, last name, not a coincidence, is uh, helping out with the chat. So if you have any questions, what you should do is pop them in the chat. Now, um, the way that works is um, that you can flag your question as a question. So all you do is mouse over your comment and there's a way to indicate it's a question, a little question mark. Um, just gonna test that out so I can see it for myself. Question. Then you can mark it as a question. So do that. Um, that'll make it easier for me when I do the Q and A. Let me know that you can see in here, okay? Uh, so who, who's with us right now? Just want to do this really quick because you never know with technology. Parvati is here. Uh, Yanka from Boston. I mean Newton boy. Boston's my own stomping grounds. Hello to Sharon Long, courtesy of the Syosset Library, who is sponsoring tonight's event. Thank you, Sharon, for popping in there. And Sharon says, if anyone has any questions, 
after the session, presumably about um, programs that the, that the library offers, but maybe it's any questions, uh, you can email her at, what is that, uh, SPI Teen, well, it's right there in the chat there. SLP teens at siasatlibrary.org. Okay, hello to Kath, Katerina. Where are you guys from? Um, Janine Timpone, hello. Lisa from the Bronx, God. Charlie says looking good, okay. Uh, Anna Song, hello Song. You were on my webinar last night, unless there was another song. Um, Lisa from Syosset, Parvati from Alabama, very cool. So we got some Syossets and we got Alabama, Wisconsin, and the Bronx and Jersey, Chris. All right, good. So you guys obviously can see in here. So the ground rules, like I said, are if you have a question, pop it in the chat there, change it to a question so that we so that we know it's a question. Um, Pearl will also be helping out with the chat to do the extra flagging on an uh, as needed flagged basis. And I will get to those questions. I will uh, do my best to stay on as long as necessary. But in the meantime, without further ado, I am going to get rid of the free book because it's been five minutes and I'm going to start my slides. So hang on a second. When I do that, I want to make sure you guys can see it. So here we go. Okay, so let me know that you can see these slides here, please, just in the in the chat, because I can, uh, I'm looking at my other screen here. It's very weird doing this without seeing chat. But um, let me know that you can see in here. Sometimes when we switch over to the slides, people are like, I can't hear, I can't see, and then they just refresh their browser and they can do both. So this is how to get financial aid, in case you don't know this, financial aid, merit aid, in today's turbulent times, so that you can help your, your kids get into their dream schools and actually afford to send them without raiding your retirement or scrimping on your current lifestyle. And it looks like we're good to go. I got some yeses. Always nice. I'll take any positive reinforcement I can get. All right, um, you saw this. Uh, if, you, if you're just joining us, maybe you're seeing this for the first time. But as a reward for showing up on time, you get a free download um, of my uh, book on how to how to negotiate financial aid. This is a bestseller, and it could help you a lot. So this is my reward to you for being punctual. I'm all about the rewards and punishments. <laughs> so here's what's on tap for today. I'm going to cover uh, 12 college application and financial aid eligibility killing mistakes to avoid at all costs. We'll talk about negotiating. And the latest on how college admissions and financial aid has been affected by the coronavirus and some recent rules changes. And I'm going to be going really fast, so get ready to take a lot of notes and get ready to please empty out your mind because a lot of what I say, I just know this over and over again, either indirectly or directly contradicts what you may have heard from other parents, other financial advisors, um, uh, college advisors, other guidance counselors, you name it. So it's best if you dump your cup out, you empty it out. And that's what I mean by uh, so I'm referring to. It's not the same old stuff you've heard from your guidance counselor. It may contradict what you think you know. And it's not fake news. And the, the examples I talk about are not bragging. They're for illustrative uh, purposes only. But it's up to you to decide you know, whether I make sense or whether the other stuff you hear makes sense. But it, it is based on real-world experience who invest a fair amount 
of lucre to uh, to retain us, and you're going to get it for free. I'm not holding anything back, and this is not an infomercial. I promise there's nothing to buy. So you can just relax about that. And although this is free, it's also non-refundable. <laughs> so take that with a grain of salt. Okay, so... Um, Look, if you're in the right you're you're in the right place. If you're stressed about stressed out about how to pay for college, particularly during today's challenging times, if you're confused about how to make a college list, or you've got no idea whether your kid can get in anywhere, or you feel like you're not getting enough help from your guidance counselor, I hear that all the time. And I am not here to bash guidance counselors, by the way, for the record, just in case any guidance counselors snuck on this <laughs> this presentation. Um, but I just hear this all the time, and I probably wouldn't have a, uh, a business if people got everything they were hoping from guidance counselors. Maybe you don't even know the right questions to ask. That's another possibility. But my, uh, what I promise is that in the next 45 to 50 minutes, you're going to learn how to multiply odds of getting into your dream school, your, your kids will, and how to easily and comfortably afford your dream college without getting ripped off or bankrupting yourself or having to sell an organ to pay for college. And even if you think there's no way to possibly qualify for anything, I'm going to show you how you can. And I know these are uh, big promises, but I intend to deliver without any weird uh, hucksterism or stuff that can get me thrown in jail like some of my other college advisor colleagues. If you are wondering, um, if you're new to our our community here, I I see a lot of repeat um, people, but if you're new, just a quick by quick way of introduction. Um, that's Pearl there up up on the other left. Pearl Lockwood. We are married. The last name is not a coincidence. Uh, we get on the news uh, every once in a while. Written a bunch of books, including um, the bestseller "How to Pay Wholesale for College." I've written a book about the college essay. Uh, this book came out in uh, 2020, 20, 2019. How to get into your dream college without lying, bribing, or photoshopping. And my latest one, I mentioned this before, um, collegenegotiationbook.com. For those of you who are punctual, you got a free copy of that, free downloadable copy um, as a reward for showing up. And uh, just recently, I made it onto Netflix for all of 43 seconds, spent about uh, three hours being filmed plus travel time, so really good use of my time and a good payoff. Uh, this is a great movie. It's a great film, actually. It's a dramatized version, but it's all true. So I, I actually recommend this, but um, now I can say, as seen on Netflix for 43 seconds. Um, that's me, Andy Lockwood, Long Island's greatest unindicted college advisor. All right, so that's enough about me, uh, except for the important stuff, which is people, you know, a lot of people ask me, like, how did you get into this college advising field? It's so interesting. I usually say something like, well, it kind of shows me in a way because I went to a really expensive school. My dad was uh, self-employed, which means low income. He was very cavalier about money. And he's like, don't worry about all the loans. It's all going to work out. Well, you know what? It it didn't really work out for me. Uh, I racked up so much debt, all kinds of credit issues and denials and just sucked. I mean, I can't say it any other way. But my um, my mission here is, I mean, I have a personal mission for my own kids, but this mission is really is, is about your kids and anyone we work with. We want everyone to avoid going into their adult lives with a anchor around their necks with debt. And um, 
it's it's beyond that. I mean, we're really about helping kids launch themselves for success in life, which includes not having debt. So that's my backstory. Um, I learned the hard way, but you can cheat. We're going to fast track to the good stuff without all the years and expenses I had to endure to, to learn all this stuff. And today, we have clients from all walks of life, athletes, non-athletes, self-employed, W-2 people, uh, all races, colors, and creeds. Here's a comment I talk about um, frequently because it's really gratifying to get a, um, a superintendent who knows a lot of college planners who promise results. Uh, but I delivered for him. I thought that was uh, really nice. This is another one that I use frequently because sometimes I forget that my um, my mannerism is a little what Scott called nonchalant, and, and it gives the. I mean, to me, I wouldn't assume someone's a, uh, pulling a scam if it was nonchalant. But I I do recognize that my industry has taken a little bit of a hit in the last year. But um, in Scott's case, and this is something we try to do for everyone, we give them a return on an ROA, a return on advisor. So Scott was very happy with us. And we get stuff like this all the time. I'm also going to talk a little bit more about negotiating. Here's a before and after um, result from a client who coincidentally uh, got into University of Southern California. Initial offer was $9,369 in free money between grants and scholarships. And we were able to negotiate that up to $37,000 in change. And hopefully that'll be... Um, well, it's at the it's a big increase of twenty eight thousand and change. Hopefully, he's going to get that this year too. Uh, jury is still out on that one, but sometimes we can have these huge impacts on people. So I just want to show you that in black and white. Um, we're really good at coaching kids through the process. Um, a lot of our students apply to super competitive schools like Yale, which is pretty awesome. Uh, and you know, there's other. I, I I'm going to cut it off here. Um, a little bit of back, background here. So it seems like this past year, admissions uh, applications were way up. It wasn't that there were more kids applying this past year. It's that there were more applications per child going in. So that caused admissions rates to drop. But it's not like college costs are, getting, uh, are lowering. They're continuing to skyrocket. And this is bad news and good news. Colleges are scrambling to recruit and hit their enrollment targets. So I'm going to talk about how that can be an advantage for you. And my predictions, we um, don't dress like this always, just for webinars, are that um, there's going to continue to be a slow consolidation or going out of business scenario for colleges uh, I am you know we're doing this this webinar in uh, 2021 and so far, there's been roughly six colleges only that have gone out of business. There's more to come, I think, but um, not quite as fast as some people think. Um, thanks to the new administration, I believe that's the reason why international students are now all of a sudden turning on the spigot. So that's going to make things a little harder, I think, for, for kids to get into college. And because of the influx in applications, I think there's going to be longer movement in, in chronologically longer movement on wait lists more applications but not more admissions officers uh, so they have to work harder to figure out who to admit and then uh, who's going to come who's going to actually matriculate so that's a big deal so i i am um anticipating that the wait list will go even into the summer sat and act Contrary to rumors, many colleges were were test optional. 
they're not dead yet. They're not. Uh, they're not over because in a in a vacuum, college admissions officers would rather have test scores. They're not perfect by any means, but they are still good predictors of kids getting into college. So scores matter um, for getting into college at most colleges, but also for merit aid. You need good scores for merit aid at most colleges. Total, two totally different things. So I hope you take at least this away from our time here together tonight that test scores still matter. You've got to get your test scores as high as possible. So what happened when coronavirus struck was really just a continuation of a trend. College costs have skyrocketed. Student loan debt, student debt is at $1.7 trillion. Defaults are out of control. It's so hard to get out of college in four years. So many kids switch majors, so they end up on the six-year plan. Uh, before coronavirus, 50% of kids were not employed in jobs that required college degrees, and most employers say that grads are useless, you know. Uh, get me the sociology major, said no CEO ever. It's so easy to major in, in just crap that, that no one cares about after you graduate college. Ooh, gender studies. You know, I'm sorry. I know it's politically incorrect. Those are great things to uh, to explore. Don't get me wrong. I think everyone should learn, not just have schooling, but learn and, and not stop in school. But I don't know about majoring in it. I think that's really a waste of money. But that's just me. Uh, but do you see why, we, with all these horrible uh, trends, you see why we can't afford to just wing it? You've got to have a plan. You've got to think about this stuff. And it's more than thinking. You've got to implement. You've got to take action. If you guys agree with that, just give me a, some sort of positive response in, um, in the chat here. All right. I'm see, seeing some funny answers. Um, it's on a little bit of a delay, so that's... Uh, it's a little awkward, but it's funny. All right, so look, if you feel uh, that that it's that you're overwhelmed, understand the system is rigged. Guidance counselors aren't trained, and they are outnumbered. The average ratio is um, across the country is close to 500 to one of student to counselor. Counselors report themselves that they spend only roughly 20 percent of their time on college matters, and I mentioned they're not trained. Ditto with accountants; they 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 can't keep up with the tax law changes as well as financial aid. So you have plenty of company. This I, I use this chart like literally every presentation, um, but it's it's effective. It looks like a bureaucrat vomited all over this. This is the simplified view of the FAFSA, and they just implemented new regulations. So I think the flow chart needs to be updated. There's fewer questions on the FAFSA, but there's more regulations behind it. It's like 1,100 pages of gobbledygook. So before we get into these uh, 12 mistakes or 12 tips, just imagine, let me take a breath for a sec. Uh, imagine what your life would be like without tossing and turning and being stressed out about how you'll possibly afford college without cutting back on your lifestyle or, or plundering your retirement. What would your life be like without the frustration that your kid isn't doing what he needs to do to get into a top school and to be successful? Or... What if you didn't have any uncertainty about which colleges to visit and when? Yes, there are still college visits. They're coming back. Which courses to take in high school, which tests to take, which extracurriculars, how to write applications and essays, etc. Just imagine what that would be like if you had all the answers to these questions. That's what I'm going to try to cover, how you can manage all this. All right, you ready for the 12 mistakes? Give me a yes in chat if you're ready. And if you're not ready, well... Um, this is not the right presentation for you. <laughs> you, should, you should go.
Go watch Netflix or something. Some, all right, so here we go. 12 mistakes. Mistake number one, I already alluded to this in a different way. Undue emphasis on the four years, not the 40. So much of uh, college thought, planning, stress is focused on where are you going to college? But to me, this is about the next 40 years, not the four years of school. It's about launching kids for success after college. That's what you're going to college for. And frankly, who would rush to the airport without knowing where the flight is going? That's the same thing as just being focused on how many times should I take the SAT? How many recommendations should I get? What's the rank of this college? Uh, what's their mascot? <laughs> you know, it's, it's more about the destination, not how you get there. Uh, of course, they are linked together. I'm not discounting that some colleges will help you better than others, but focus on what you're going to get out of college. That's my best advice. If you don't do this, um, and you switch your majors a couple of times, you could be on the six-year plan at seventy or $80,000 a year or a job that you hate or doesn't require a degree. You know, hello, Chipotle. Uh, so in our practice, and again, this is, this is not a, um, a, a commercial for us. I'm just going to tell you how we do it. No one else does it this way, so it's not right for everyone. That's why it's not a commercial. But um, if you were to take our advice with or without us, you would backward plan. The way we do is we give each kid an assessment and that helps uncover their wiring, which we match to careers and jobs where work doesn't feel like work, where they could love going to work and make a living. And then from there, the next step is we'll back into colleges that are reputable across four or five majors, plural, not not a major, that leads to these careers. That's where we start, so it's backwards. How are you wired and what that could translate into in terms of careers and jobs where you can you know, look forward to Mondays and you get off mom and dad's payroll. And then step two is back into colleges that are reputable across those majors. And I'll talk about the two other steps a little bit later, but those are the first two in our four-step P4 process. Um, mistake number two is belief that things are the same. By the way, you, should have, you, you have an outline. Um, I, that should have been emailed to you right when you registered and then again a couple, maybe at least one other time. So I'm working off that outline. Maybe I should have said that earlier. Uh, so mistake number two is belief that things are the same as when you went to college, right? Could have been 30 years ago. Well, a lot of people are like, wow, I don't remember it being this hard. I mean, me personally, I'm a college advisor. I applied to one school. <laughs> I know I wrote an essay. I don't remember it. I'm sure I hand wrote it. So it's probably illegible. How did this happen? How did yesterday's safeties become today's reaches? How did Miami get so hard to get into? How did Northeastern get so hard to get into? When I grew up in, uh, outside of Boston and Newton, Mass., I think Northeastern's admissions rate was 90%. Now it's practically an ivy. And, and same thing for Miami, same thing with Tulane, same thing with a bunch of other schools. How did all this happen? Uh, well, like I said, Northeastern transformed itself. Then they now get more than sixty thousand applications to for only twenty eight hundred seats. How did that happen? On one clue, I mean, it's been covered many times, but one of the best articles ever about how colleges game the rankings is from an article called "How to Game the College Rankings," and that was in Boston Magazine. So, just understand. My point here is, you don't have to read this, although it is interesting um, to dorks like me, but. You don't have to read this to understand that colleges do gain the rankings. Rank is easily manipulated over a period of time. But there's also uh, sort of illegal or scammy, scummy ways to do it. Like Emory was caught up by sending false data 
Tulane, same thing. I think George, yeah, GW was also. So there's legal and illegal ways to improve your rankings. Understand that all this marketing that they do to you is designed to do one thing, to get you, uh, to get you to apply, so they can boost their numbers. So mistake number three ties into this is not getting or not understanding that college admissions is about marketing, not a meritocracy. So colleges market because they're in business, but kids need to understand that they too are marketing themselves and they too are in business. They're in the business of getting in and getting money for college. It's not about your grades and scores only. It's about how you market yourself as well as other factors. Um, many factors are out of your control, like race and ethnicity and Photoshopping and bribing. <laughs> um, but what you need to really think about doing is if you were a business, like the old Avis Rent-A-Car, do you remember their slogan? We're number, true, we're number two, we try harder. That's how they position themselves against the behemoth Hertz. I actually bartended in, uh, in Boston for three years at, between college and law school. Yes, I'm a recovering attorney. And um, I still remember the conversation I had with uh, Calvin Barris, who was about 80 years old at the time. He had a condo in the Four Seasons in Boston. And he and his wife, Avis, would come down and give everyone tips on the way into the dining room. And yes, he was the founder of Avis. So I actually asked him about how they came up with their slogan. We're number two, we try harder. He said, well, we turned a negative into a positive. We're, we'll never be as big as, as it hurts. So they leveraged their strengths because America loves an underdog, scrappy underdog. That's what kids need to do also. It's the same thing to highlight their strengths for that closing argument that sums up their entire body of work that was created in ninth grade forward in, in high school. Um, and that's how you optimize your chances of admission to top schools. Because our children, I have two in college and two on the way, too, so I know exactly what you're going through on so many levels. The, the, you have to answer the question, why should we take you compared to 5,000 Maybe in, by the way, it could be 90,000 at some schools, competitor applicants. Why you? What makes you different? If you can't answer that fundamental question, then you are not going to do well in this process. And that is what we help people do. I'm almost like a marketing guy trapped in a college advisor's body. I know that's creepy sounding, but hey, it's a free webinar and there's no refunds. That is still funny. Second time I made that joke. Uh, this is a different approach, by the way. Most guidance counselors don't understand this because they don't think like an entrepreneur, like someone who has to market their business. And I showed you earlier um, all the goofy stuff that we do, like this webinar that you're on, books I've written, Netflix appearance for 43 seconds, um, you know, other appearances, etc. I'm doing the same thing. I'm just trying to say, look, this is why I am different. This is why you should pay attention to me compared to the other 20 college advisors that might be within a 10, uh, 15 mile radius of here. Okay. So I'm teaching kids to do the same thing. That is a life skill, by the way, this is not a get into college skill only because the people who do best, do best in life are the ones who learn how to advocate for themselves. So we are, uh, you know, my firm is all about that. It's not so much that we care where anyone gets into college. Although of course I want everyone to feel good about their choices and getting where they deserve, quote unquote, but it's really about launching them for success after college. I care so much more about that than where they go to school. Okay, um, so let's talk about these two uh, sets of numbers, 60, 40, and two thirds. 
6040 refers to something that surprises a lot of people. When admissions officers look at a file, the academic credentials of that candidate are roughly only about 60% of the decision of what they're considering. So what goes into that? Your GPA, obviously. Rigor. A lot of people forget about this, but the number of AP classes that you take versus what's available, super important. And then, yes, still, SAT or ACT. Those, those are the big three, but together, only 60%. The other 40% is comprised of all kinds of stuff that might be in your control or out of your control. And I will tell you that the stuff that could be out of your control is how colleges choose or or create their class. So they will reserve roughly two-thirds of spots. Um, According to one author uh, who, who was a Duke admissions person, she says it could be as high as 80%, but two-thirds, roughly, of spots are reserved for non-academic categories, non-academic reasons. So what are those non-academic reasons? They have nothing to do with your grades and scores, right? That's what I'm talking about. It's not a meritocracy. Um, recruited athletes, whether you're uh, legacies, um, whether you're on the development list, Underrepresented minorities are special categories. International students are special categories. If you play early decision, not ap- not not early action, that's a special category. Um, low-income families get special treatment. And then there's other stuff that they consider too, and this is from, uh, this is not from me, this is from my, uh, a business partner of mine who's more of a mentor who gave me this from the files of Princeton University where he was on the admissions committee for 30 years, okay? So he's, little bit more of an expert than most people and the niche.com or all these other places character stuff really really important uh, motivation leadership integrity reaction to setbacks those are from recommendations and the whole application is about character and service and overcoming obstacles and other personal attributes talent achievement etc so a lot of this is not in the transcripts right a lot of this is in your extracurricular activities I mentioned your recommendations, the essays, a lot of other places. In totality, this is really what they're looking for. Um, have you guys heard this before, by the way? Because most of the time, I mean, not not from me, from other, other people, because I feel like no one really sees it like this in black and white. So um, let me know in chat here, and I'm, I'm going to, uh, I can't see it right now, but I'm going I'm just, to, I'm just curious. I don't think I've ever asked that. I think character is more important than the SAT. I think you know a lot, a lot of schools are test optional, so that supports my thought there. But character is is the new SAT. All right, next mistake. Uh, and I sort of talked about this a little bit. Naivete about the truth. College is a business, right? Even if our kids don't understand it, I'm just going to repeat it here. They're in the business of promoting themselves to get in where they want and getting the most money they can get and getting a college ROI, college return on investment. If this is not comfortable, okay, uh, I mean, I, I know, but listen, you have to suck it up. The best results, you won't achieve anything without stepping out of your comfort zone. And these are life skills, not college skills. All right, let's move on to some money. Mistake number five, and, I, and if you have questions, flag them as a question. There's a little way to hover over your comments and um Uh, you'll see a question mark that'll make it easier for me to go through. So go back and chat if you haven't done that yet. I just, uh, I should have mentioned that before. Mistake number five is failure to understand the federal and institutional financial aid formulas. 
specifically that component, EFC. Now, this is changing. So this is 2021 um, that I'm doing this presentation, but in 2023, it changes, and I'm going to cover that in a very summarized, abbreviated version. The, the, so the formula, COA minus EFC equals need. COA means cost of attendance, tuition plus room and board, etc. EFC stands for expected family contribution, how much they expect you to be able to uh, to afford. And that is based on 70-something factors. Income is the most important one, and that means all income, including untaxed income, uh, as well as your savings, specifically where you've saved, not just necessarily how much. So if you subtract your cost of attendance minus your EFC, you will come up with the need. How much do you need? What's your financial need? And that's what colleges look at. So let's make some more comments here. The whole key is the expected con the expected family contribution. So one of the changes is, and I, I'm still scratching my head over this, is that the uh, Department of Ed and Congress are changing this term. So in 2023, it's going to be called the SAI, Student Aid Index. That's it. They spent a lot. Of, I'm sure they spent a lot of time and man hours, you know, figuring that out. But I'm giving you the 2021 version. EFC is what they think you can afford for one year. And the lower it is, the more need you'll show and the greater your, el your eligibility for money. You want to lower your EFC. And it's calculated slightly differently depending on the FAFSA and the CSS profile. And I mentioned this before. It's going to change. This term will change. So if somehow you're watching this on the internet in, in the future, <laughs> um, listen listening to historical Andy tell you this, um, that's... Don't, don't be confused. And there's other changes too. The biggest flaw out of several is that the expected family contribution does not include your cost of living or any, any other expenses. So you can have the same income and savings and live in a very high tax area like San Francisco or New York City or places like that versus someone who looks identical to you in a flyover state, you know, like uh, Ohio, where, where the cost of living is actually reasonable. And you'll have the same EFC and eventually SAI. That stinks. But that's just, just one of the many frustrating things. I promise you, more frustration to come. Don't forget that in this non-refundable free workshop. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> okay. So what are the most important factors in the expected family contribution? Well, income by far is the most important. So um, this is oversimplified, even though it looks pretty specific. But parent income is penalized between 22 to 47 percent. Parent assets are penalized between 5.6 uh, at roughly five percent and change. Child assets are penalized much more severely. So when I say penalized, that means your EFC is boosted. You want to have a low EFC. So understand that the more money you make, the higher your EFC is because of the income component, and the more money you have saved particularly if it's in the wrong places, like your child's name, the uh, greater the penalty, the greater the, the your EFC number will be. So just understand that. I'm going to give a couple of examples. Let's talk about income. Income means, currently, it means all income, including untaxed. In 2023, they will exempt some untaxed income, such as um, child support. There's a two-year look back on income, and I'm, and I'm saying income only, because I always get questions about other stuff, but I'm focusing only on income. So what that means is if you have a child that graduates in 22, then the t your 2020 1040s, your tax returns, 
are the basis of your uh, your financial aid applications. And just to follow along here, class, if you're keeping score at home, 2023 grads, it's your 2021 1040s or tax returns that are the primary basis for your financial aid award. So a lot of people had um, pretty good years in 2019 and really crappy years in 2020 because of this pandemic that I've heard about. Uh, you may have heard something about it too. I'm not joking around to be to make light of a bad situation. I want to give you hope here because um, I literally this morning talked to a uh, um, buddy of mine who I used to play basketball with, and he had a great year in uh, 2019, and he made like half a million dollars for his business. Um, and in 2019, it was almost 50% of that. I'm uh, sorry, 2020. But the problem in the financial aid formulas, the flaw, is that his colleges that his daughter got into will only know about the the base year, which was 2019, because she graduates in 2021. So what I said was, look, you can appeal that. What you should do is tell them, look, I know I, we looked one way two years ago, but here's the reality. So if that's the case at any time, even in non-pandemic years, you can always appeal your award. A lot of people don't realize that, but you can always appeal. All right, I told you I'd talk about assets. So hypothetically, let's look at the, this will help you understand the difference between parent assets and child assets. If you save it in your kid's name, like a UTMA or a UGMA, uh, you will, you will re- reduce your eligibility or you'll be penalized by up to 25,000 bucks compared to, if it's in your name, $5,000. So if you have questions about specific assets, I'll try to answer them. Uh, the 529 is considered a parent asset by most, but not all schools. That's the, that's the only way I can say it. Um, however, if you have money saved in an exempt account, in a legal and ethical uh, exempt loophole account, you don't get any penalty. You boost your eligibility anywhere from $5,000 to $25,000 per year. One more time. If you shelter money in an exempt account, you can boost your eligibility for money by up to $25,000 a year. So is this too good to be true? Well, it doesn't work for everybody. So this is not a blanket. I can wave a magic wand and you can get an extra $25,000 a year type of statement. I hope you realize that um, because I know you paid a lot for this seminar. Ha, free, non-refundable. Okay. Um, So just understand from this slide, here's the key point. Child savings penalizes you way more than parent savings. So let's talk about what's included. And then if you are good girls and boys, I'll talk about the exemptions, the loopholes. Would you like to hear the loopholes? Are your hearts strong? Do you have a waiver? Um, Did you get a doctor's note? (laughs) Okay, I'm such a jerk. Um, So what's included? What goes on to the FAFSA when you're filling it out yourself, if you choose to do that yourself? It's stuff you can use to pay for college. You know, your checking, anything in the bank, any types of investments, those all are included. Now, the exemptions are right here in these uh, in these directions. Here's what's not included. You should not include these, by the way, by accident either. When you're filling out the FAFSA, again, if you choose to do it yourself, that is a service we provide, which we can talk about. But if you're doing it yourself, don't include your home. By the way, I'm only talking about primary residence. I'm not talking about your um, any investment properties. Those do count against you. But your primary residence is exempt. So too are your retirement accounts. I'm not sure how well you can see this, 
but that includes 401ks, pension funds, annuities. Uh, that's number three here. Um, number four is life insurance with cash value. So any retirement accounts, any annuities, any life insurance, they are not considered by the rules to be resources that can, you can use to pay for college. So those are the four loopholes. So sometimes what people do is they take money out of the places that penalizes them and put them into usually a retirement account or an annuity or life insurance to shelter or take the money off the financial aid balance sheet so they can qualify for more money just by moving money around. And it is right here in black and white. It's not sleazy. It's not some scam. Don't let anyone talk you out of out of at least understanding that it's possible. But like I said before, you've got to be super careful. It doesn't work for everyone. And uh, it's that's a little bit, bit beyond the scope of this because it varies by each individual. Last comment here. Here is the um, here's another exemption for business owners. Um, most businesses are worth zero in the formula. So I'll say it again. There's, this doesn't work for everyone. You've got to look at, if you're moving money around, you've got to look at taxes and penalties and understand what you're depositing your savings into. Um, this doesn't work for everyone. Okay. I want to go into, uh, you can tell I'm a recovering attorney with all those disclaimers, but very important because a lot of people do these types of seminars who don't really mention that. They're, they're just trying to sell annuities or something. And um, that's not my thing. Uh, I wouldn't even know how to do that, <laughs> or let alone. Uh, okay. Anyway, let's, let's go into five strange funding facts. Are you guys finding this helpful so far? The exemptions, uh, the strategies, the pitfalls. Hopefully, this is good stuff for you. This is what you came for. Just let me know in chat, please. Give me a yes um, as I move into st- five funding facts. Here you go. This should give you some hope. Weird and wacky. Uh, most aid actually goes to people who make the most money, top 25% of income earners. The average discount from a private college in the United States is more than 52%, and that's been increasing every year. I think it's going to be a lot higher once the dust settles from 2021. At any given college, a minority, maybe 25 30% are paying full price. They are subsidizing the other 75 or uh, or 70 to 75% of people. Hey, which group would you rather be in? That is rhetorical. Uh, mistake number, I'm sorry, strange fact, weird and wacky fact number number four is that there's actually more merit funding out there. So if you don't qualify for need-based aid, that's really not that big a deal because there's more money out there for merit. And number five, previously mentioned, don't be put off by high-sticker price private colleges because they can actually discount you so that your net price I see this all the time, is less than cheaper state schools. I had a client just send me um, this morning, another client, send me a spreadsheet of all the offers that her son had gotten from mostly, not all, private schools, such as Syracuse and Fairfield and um, a few other schools. And the net price for all these schools was less than you would pay at a state school out of state, like a Maryland or you know a, a Michigan or that, that type of thing. So... My point is, you never know until the dust settles, but just because a school has a high sticker price does not mean that that's what you're going to pay. Only 25% pay full boat. Most people do not. So it'd be a shame to eliminate those schools for price only. All right, mistake number six. I've already covered a lot of this. That's the good news, is mixing up parent assets with child assets. Don't do that. Parent assets are penalized far less. So when you're filling out these forms, you know, again, if you're a do-it-yourself or just block out 
at least a weekend, if not longer, to make sure you understand where everything should go because you saw the implications. If you goof this up and you say, oh, um, my child has $150,000 in the bank, but you really should have put that in your savings uh, field on the form, you're going to lose any eligibility that you were hoping for because child assets are penalized at a far higher amount. Very frequent thing. Um, <laughs> we got to work on, on this slide a little bit. All right. Um, and just to give that to you in graphic form, again, as a review, the 529 is considered a parent asset by most but not all colleges. And child assets that penalize you 400% more include custodial accounts, which are typically UTMA and UGMA, anything that a child's name is on title for. The seventh mistake is covered previously also, including your retirement accounts or your primary residence and your net worth. Just don't do that because you will sabotage yourself. Um, now, I just want to draw a distinction here. I've been talking up until now about the FAFSA, but there's about 400 colleges that also require, in addition to the FAFSA, a different, much more complicated, com convoluted form, which people describe as a root canal without Novocaine. Um, and um, that includes the, I'm talking about the CSS profile. So they treat the primary residence differently than the FAFSA. So the primary residence is exempt on the FAFSA, but not on the profile. Retirement accounts are exempt on the FAFSA. They're disclosed on the profile, but supposedly they don't count against you. How do I square that? I, I have a problem with it, but I think it's basically right. Um, on the FAFSA, all annuities are exempt, but only some annuities are, are exempt on the CSS profile. Specifically, retirement annuities are exempt or, or qualified. That's a, uh, that's a synonym for retirement annuities, but non-qualified or non-retirement annuities are not uh, qualified or not exempt on the profile. And cash value life insurance, totally exempt on the FAFSA and also exempt on the CSS profile. So typically when I'm working with clients to help them shelter money um, and qualify for more financial aid, life insurance tends to be the place that we look to help, to, 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 or the tool that we use. But there's a lot of really bad policies out there. So if you're gonna do this on your own, just be very, very careful about the features of that life insurance policy, the fees, how long you have to keep the money locked up, that type of thing. And understand also that any mistake you make could cost you tens of thousands of dollars. Here's a mistake that we haven't talked about, blowing priority deadlines. Colleges have different deadlines for admissions and financial aid. There isn't one universal deadline like April 15th, which is no longer April 15th, um, because if you're applying early decision or early action, you might have two different deadlines. So you, you need to look up each and every college's priority financial aid deadlines. Um, there's no universal deadline. You, there's no easy way to shortcut this. If you want a best practices tip, do you want that? Yes, I know you do. Um, <laughs> then do what we do uh, if you're going to do this on your own. Figure out your earliest priority financial aid deadline and get all of your applications in for every college at least a few days before that. As long as you hit the priority deadline, you're fine. There's no race. You know, that's not a sprint. You don't get extra money if, you, if you're earlier. Just don't miss your priority deadline. Uh, sometimes if you miss it, it's not that big a deal, honestly, but with the schools that have the most money, like Ivy League schools. But do yourself a favor. Do me a favor. Um, I want you to get value out of this free event, free non-refundable event. Um, do, do it like we do it. File all at once um, by the earliest deadline. And you got to get organized. There's no, no shortcut. Don't miss a deadline. You'll shoot yourself in the foot. All right, mistake number nine, 
Business owners, I mentioned this before, overvaluing your business. I told you about the exemption in the uh, financial aid rules for business owners. We had a client, uh, Tina, who had a pretty big business. They did excavation work for uh, the county. And her daughter got into a whole bunch of places, including NYU, and didn't get any money anywhere. She called me after the fact and asked me if I could help her. I was like, I'm not sure what I can do, but she, her office was literally next to my office. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll, you know what, I'll take a look. And I saw the problem immediately that she had used her brain to um, correctly to fill out the section on the FAFSA that asks about the value of her business using a real-world common-sense number. That's a mistake in financial aid. Don't use common sense. Don't, don't think that common sense governs because um, her problem was that she didn't realize that the rules say that the value of her business was not what she thought it was. It was it's zero. So we refiled, we meaning my wife, who does all the real work, and immediately uh, we got a bunch of questions back from NYU and a bunch of other colleges, but we changed the value of her business. That seems to be the main thing that happened, and the result was instead of getting zero, she got twenty-five grand per year, three years running, not a bad swing. I'm telling you, I use this example a lot, so you remember if you're a business owner that the value of your business is zero. You can look it up yourself. Mistake number 10 is, now this is actually going to change in 2023, but uh, mistake number 10 is for divorced or separated families using the wrong parent. You might have your own definition of wrong for non-financial aid reasons, but uh, for financial aid, the parent who should be currently um, filling out the financial aid application on the FAFSA is the custodial parent. So what does that mean? Well, custodial parent currently means the parent that the child resides with the majority of time. It has nothing to do currently with who declares the child as a, um, as a, as a dependent and takes the deduction. That changes in 2023. In 2023, it's going to be the parent that takes the child as a deduction, you know, the parent that's, that supports the child. But in 2021 and 22, it's about the parent that the child lives with a majority of time. Now, on the CSS profile, I know I'm running, doing this really fast, but I've got to get through these slides. Uh, on the CSS profile, they either ask a little bit or a lot about the non-custodial parent. So the rule change on the FAFSA may not affect CSS profile colleges so much. Um, the other thing I want to point out is you may have an agreement with your ex-spouse that uh, he, I'm not trying to be sexist, but usually it's a he, is responsible for paying like 75% of, a, of school, uh, in-state school tuition. That doesn't mean that that's how much the financial aid formulas think he can pay. It's about, it's about his resources, not whatever you agree to. So um, there's a difference. And if you have someone who won't participate, most colleges will have you sign the equivalent of an affidavit, which I learned in law school that an affidavit is better than no David at all. Non-refundable workshop. Uh, but um, they'll let you say, He's not participating. I can't get any information out of him. Most colleges are okay with that. So if that's the case, I know that's the case with many people who come to these presentations. So keep that in the back of your mind. And again, it all changes in 23. Mistake number 11 here, not applying at all. Uh, somehow, somebody calculated, and you can it's so easy to lie with statistics, but I, I believe that it's at least 53% of families fail to apply. So don't do that. Everyone should apply, even if you think you're not going to qualify. Mistake number 12, starting too late. The later you start, the fewer your choices. 
I can't tell you how many times I hear from people, wow, I went to one of your presentations a couple of years ago. I've been meaning to contact you. Uh, I'm already halfway through everything. My daughter's into a bunch of colleges. Uh, I didn't get any money. Can you help me? Um, the answer is almost always no. I, I, I tell people that all the time. Uh, just had a converse, two conversations like that yesterday with th- different reasons why I couldn't help them, but they were both late. So don't just blow this off. Um, even if you think it's too early to start thinking about this, it doesn't mean you go out and hire someone like me. It just means you, you got to implement a lot of the stuff you're learning here so you have a leg up. I promise you, the earlier the better. When is the best time to start? Clearly in utero. No, I'm kidding. Um, if you're interested in um, maximizing odds of admission to your top choice schools, understand that by the time you have that meeting with your guidance counselor in 11th grade, you're going to learn about all the crap you should have done in ninth grade forward. All the extracurriculars, the courses, out-of-school extracurricular activities, you name it. So the earlier you start, the better. Um, most kids aren't necessarily ready to work with an advisor in ninth grade, although we might have five or six of those each year. It's really more about understanding what is going to be judged at, in that closing argument in, at the end of 11th grade. It's everything from ninth grade forward. So don't wait until 11th grade to start thinking about that. Um, understand also that, and, and this is really more of a personal thing for me, if you are interested in working with us, don't force your kid into doing it. I, I have I told you, for my own kids, I don't need to babysit anybody who doesn't really want to succeed. Um, and you, if you're a parent, you can't want it more than your kid. They've, they have to come to it themselves. Don't push them. Let them pull themselves toward it, uh, which is why we interview kids ahead of time. All right. Um, Mistake number 13 out of 12. Thank you. I'm over-delivering. Bonus. Assuming that your award is your final offer. That's right. I'm talking about negotiating. So we get great results. I I, I have to be, if not the, one of the leading experts on negotiating um, with colleges. So here's a client of ours who received initially – you know, sixteen thousand seven hundred eighty-four dollars of a scholarship plus the Pell Grant. Then that was changed to thirty-seven thousand dollars seven eighty-four after we negotiated. Then up to forty thousand dollars. That was a big swing to go from sixteen and change to over forty thousand. That was pretty awesome. Uh, great clients of mine got an initial offer from top choice school of twenty-nine thousand, and then we were able to boost that up to getting another five thousand, then another seventeen thousand dollars swing. That was pretty awesome too. Per year, right? So that's sixty-eight thousand um, dollars. So, so pay attention here, okay? The best defense is a good offense. It's great to have offers from schools that compete with each other. You must have new information to share. Don't just rehash stuff they already know from the applications. And I love this: play the colleges off against each other, ruthlessly and mercilessly. So, um, one more shot. If you want my free uh, my book for free, go to collegenegotiationbook.com, which Gives you a lot more detail than the next 18 seconds here. The anatomy of an appeal. Give them new information. Tell them about a change in income if you had that. My income dropped. I mentioned that example before. Or I had all of a sudden these crazy expenses that came up. These are all examples of special circumstances. That's the nomenclature that financial aid offices use um, to, to exercise their professional judgment about whether to um, adjust the financial aid award. Uh, and now, under the new rules, admissions officers have more leeway. So that's a good thing, to be able to, um, in effect, 
lower your expected family contribution. But this works for merit offers also. So it's not just about need-based aid. It's also about competing scholarships, which is why you should always include not just financial aid, but also the, um, the admissions folks. And if you're a recruited athlete, the coach, anyone who has a stake in it. And don't be aggressive and annoying and irritating. I'm sure none of you is. Um, be respectful and polite. Same side of the table, not opposite side. And some schools have special forms to fill out. Some just want you to send them an email. Uh, there may be other methods. Follow their protocols. And you might be surprised. Scott and Barbara, you would never think in a million years that they would get any type of money whatsoever. And to Scott's credit, um, the dad, we tried to negotiate, then uh, kept at it, kept at it. So ultimately, total of an additional $30,000 for one twin and $20,000 for the other one, which was a hundred and thirty two. Uh, I'm sorry, a total of 33000 between the two of them extra, which was over four years, a boost of an extra $132,000. Now, that number seems like too, you know, it's like too big to, not too big to fail, but too big to believe. But it's, it's literally exactly what happened with them. Am I promising you that I can wave a wand and get you another $132,000? Come on, you know, we're both adults. You know I can't do that. But I've gotten, I've helped people get more and, of course, less. So you never really know, but it helps to have schools that compete with each other, and it helps to be very persistent. And I've got dozens of these types of stories, but I'm just going to leave you with this one. So here's the recap. We're done, but let me ask you, does this motivate you? Does it inspire you a little bit? I hope so. Give me a yes in chat. Do you see that this type of approach that I've talked about, which, you know, the backwards approach, the playing colleges off against each other, being strategic, planning, do you see how this can work for you? Let me know that you agree. And do you see what happens if you don't plan? It's not just financial, it's emotional dangers. It's just not being able to send your child to the school that she deserved. What would it mean to you if you could save thousands or even tens of thousands of dollars off the cost of your child's dream college and you didn't have any stress about where they could get in and what to write essays about and applications and visits and how much it's going to cost you. How much time and money could you save with a solid plan? So I'm wrapping this up just the way I do before I get to questions. There's always two choices. You can just go to do this on your own and hopefully I've given you some good information to help you do that. Or you can follow a tested and proven system or plan to get results. We are coaches. We're consultants, but I'm really a coach. Just the same way that um, LeBron James has a coach for nutrition and for his skills. Um, Tom Brady has all sorts of coaches. Tiger Woods has all sorts of coaches. I hear he's looking for a driving coach right now. Just kidding. That's a little joke. Uh that's what we do. So we have a tested and proven system. So my offer to you, hopefully I've earned the right to give you a couple of minutes on it, literally two minutes, but this offer is not right for everyone. It's for families who want to qualify for discounts and they understand that college is not the point. It's a means to an end. It's not the end. And you can see that even though we require an investment, you see the results that other people have gotten. Um, and if you follow the system, then you'll be you'll do great. And if you aren't capable of doing that, uh, you should take a pass on this on this offer. So we have a program, which I mentioned before. It's called P4, which stands for backward planning. Um, then we back into colleges that are based on 
the potential outcomes, multiple outcomes, careers, majors, etc. We help position kids like Avis, right? How to optimize their chances of getting in. And that can happen as early as ninth grade. Most people don't start with us then, but it could. And then produce. We help keep people get the money. We do all the financial aid forms. Uh, make sure you don't miss any deadlines. Support you through the entire process. And negotiate an appeal. So the choices with us are either the comprehensive program or just the um, carving out the financial aid aspect. What's it worth? Well, if you think about the mistakes you'll avoid, you could avoid making a mistake that could cost you tens of thousands of dollars or waking up too late and wonder, wow, I wish things had turned out differently. Not to mention the time savings. And our services, again, I mentioned there's an, ex- uh, an investment, but they cost less than one sco- small scholarship. Being able to afford college without scrimping your lifestyle or plundering your retirement savings or racking up debt. If you did the math and you got just one extra scholarship worth $5,000 a year from working with us that you wouldn't have gotten on your own, what would the value be? I'll do that for you so you don't have to pull a brain muscle. Twenty grand. And I told you before, we get you know every year we get some crazy results that are hard to, uh, hard to fathom, even for me. Um, I mentioned the $132,000 increase. Uh, low right there is my buddy Jimmy, who I know from junior high, who got an extra seventy grand for his two kids. Um, and you can see the other results. The cost of not planning might be having to let your child down who got into their dream school and say, I can't afford to send you, loading them up with debt, all these horrible things, plus the time that you'll never get back. So if you're interested in working with us, Go uh, click on the button here. There's a black button or go to booklockwood.com. There's nothing to buy. It's a casual conversation. We can do it by Zoom if you want. Um, I'm opening this up to 12 people. That's what I do for every presentation. And um, hopefully we can help you alleviate the stress like with Beth Sova, who now lives in Houston, who felt an enormous weight lifted off her shoulders. That's really the business that we're in is reducing that stress. So go ahead and... Um, do a short application, tell us what type of help you're looking for, and then you can book a call with us, uh, with me or someone on my team. Now, by the way, this is only for people that I've never spoken to once before. I can't do multiple free calls. So um, as, as much as I like to brag, I have a booming <laughs> pro bono business. I don't need any more pro bono clients. So this is only all, uh, available for people who, <coughs> for free, who have not spoken to me before. If we have spoken to me before, just shoot me an email. And uh, if you have any questions about our services, and we can take it from there. All right. Thanks for watching. I'm going to now um, come back and answer the questions that have been piling up in the chat here. All right. Let's see what's going on in the old chat room. Um, Okay. I should be looking at the oldest to newest, I believe. All right, so uh, TNA, TANA, can income for uh, 400000 can you qualify for financial aid? Uh, it, it's, it's certainly within the realm of possibility, but it's very, very unlikely. Your best bet is probably to look for schools that offer merit aid. Um, and if you're self-employed, there's probably a handful of techniques you can use to reduce your taxes and your income, which um, A, will free up cash, and B, might actually help you qualify for aid. We help with that also. Um, Okay, Duane, can you get more aid after the first year or is that too late? It's not too late, although most colleges tend to um, 
tend to front load or they they tend to kind of attract you with, with uh, the initial offer. But to be fair, circumstances change. And if you had um, a really good year in year one and a really bad year in terms of year two for financial aid, you might get more. Anna, one parent is 65 and retired. How is your EFC affected? Well, um, the, the most important component of EFC, soon to be SAI, is your income. So that's kind of baked into your question. But uh, generally speaking, the older you are, the more you qualify for. It's not particularly helpful. This is an oversimplification. But the older you are, uh, the more is excluded, meaning they don't count against you. Uh, Teresa, is your book only on Kindle? Uh, no, it's, it's, a, it's a paperback as well. And it makes a great holiday gift, no matter what holiday you observe. Um, Yanka, and when your kid gets mistake number three, they come to you and declare they will be applying to UK colleges. <laughs> okay. Nothing wrong with going to school in the UK. Um, Susan, if our child was offered an Ivy for admissions process for sports, how can we negotiate aid for the athlete? And we possibly do not qualify for aid. Okay, so that's two separate questions. In terms of negotiating, it helps to have other offers. So before committing, I would try to line up some other offers. In terms of if you don't qualify for aid, how are we going to get money as, from an Ivy, which is need-based? It's harder. It's not impossible. It's just harder. And you just have to ask. There's no real secret. It's better to have other offers from other schools. And if the, the college wants the kid badly enough, the Ivy, sometimes they will magically declare a need. They will find financial aid. So it's possible. It's just hard. Sung, question. The income considered for FAFSA is gross income or adjusted gross? The latter. It's adjusted gross income. However, uh, depending on how complicated your tax returns, there might be some other things going in there. So if you contribute to your retirement account, that's not part of your adjusted gross income. It, it gets netted off the, the top, but it gets added back for financial aid purposes. So it's not quite as simple. Maria Donahue, a question. Is the money you contribute to retirement accounts during the two-year look-back period? Oh, I just talked about that. Is that money count as money that should have gone toward money for the college? In other words, will be held against you. Yeah, it's, it's, so in other words, if you make $180,000 and you put $30,000 into your 401k or whatever your retirement account is, your income on paper for tax purposes is 150 but for financial aid purposes, it's 180 They add that back, which is lousy. That's one of the several lousy things. Jessica, is it apply only to FAFSA? Not sure. Can you clarify that question? I'm not sure I understand that. Uh, Sally Morris, kid entry fall in 2022. When do they check the child's financial accounts? Is a look back to 2020 for parents, same for a child. So just to be clear, there's a look back for income for anybody who has income, typically as the parent, and that's a two-year two job. In terms of the accounts, the assets, those have to be accurate as of the date you file. So no look back. Look back for income, no look back for assets, parent, child, anybody. 
Christina, based on what you said, can we refile the FAFSA and CSS if we think that the original way lead to the school not awarding enough? Well, uh, I guess led to the school not, so, so do you think you made a mistake or something? You can refile the FAFSA electronically. If you find a mistake, you can update it. CSS profile, you can correct it, but it's gotta be done by hand. They don't allow you to do it electronically. Uh, Yanka, hope I'm saying your name right. It looks like a, an I, but maybe it's an L. Um, question on business value. If the parent owns a business office condo used to offer, uh, used to operate the business from, should the value of the office condo be listed as part of the value of the business? Yes, but we try to lowball that all the time. But if that's a business asset, like you're getting rent payments from it, that's the way most accountants set that up. Uh, that'll flow through your tax returns anyway but you should lowball the value the best you can. Christina, you mentioned the affidavit. If a parent doesn't pay deadbeat, what if the parent says, I will only pay $10,000, for example? Do you file an affidavit about that? No, they're, they're, either they participate or they don't. So if they are participating in the process, which 90-something percent of, of the deadbeats, of the, of the ex-spouses will, but not the deadbeats, um, then they're going to look at the ex-spouse's means is financial ability, not any type of statement like, well, I know I can pay, you know, 50,000, but I'm only going to pay 10. That's, that doesn't factor in. Teresa, do you actually disclose the amount you receive from other universities? I do. I actually uh, encourage my clients to append the actual offers to when you're doing an appeal. I think that's what that question is about. Uh, Mara. I know I'm late to be asking this. Well, it's about uh, eight o'clock. Uh, as he's already as he's already applied and got into his first choice in out-of-state state school. But what are the odds of getting an out-of-state state school to increase aid? I've already sent in their required appeal based on my self-employment income in 2020 being much worse than 2019. Well, it it does depend on your circumstances. So whatever you put on that appeal form will matter um state schools in general don't have much money but they may come up a little bit you know it depends on the school like some schools hardly ever give anything like maryland i was just talking about them earlier today with uh somebody some client um whereas schools like delaware are a little bit more generous so possible and then i guess the follow-up question do out-of-state state schools give merit grants to out of uh, out of state they, they they're, they're usually better with merit aid than they are with need-based grants for out-of-state families because they favor in-state low-income families and they need out-of-state people uh, to pay more to keep them afloat. <clears throat> Evelyn, when you pay, play colleges against each other, do the tuitions need to be the same ballpark? I look at the net price, like what is the net number? So I was going over a spreadsheet with a client of mine today. I may have mentioned this earlier. And the, um, the, the kid got into eight or nine schools and we had identified one of them as the top choice and the other offers that we're sending this top choice school to look at have lower net prices. They're also uh, mostly private colleges. I think they might all be private colleges and they're roughly within the same wheelhouse in terms of academic credentials that they desire. So they're comparable schools, but the net prices are lower. 
So the argument is, you're my top choice school. However, I've got these other offers from these other colleges. Uh, is there anything you can do to you know make this work so that we're, we're you're meeting or exceeding these other offers? I hope that is helpful. Hopefully, you guys are finding this helpful. Everybody, uh, Janine Tampone, great book. Thank you. When so when you discuss big changes in life, my husband as of January is on disability. We just received an offer from our number one choice college, along with two others. I'm going to appeal, but will they say this as big and help out, or because the college will want to investigate and hurt her current offer? I'm not sure you mean by big, but um, it's a big change. As of so, so if something's going to happen in the future, then they're probably not going to consider it. They will most likely say, well, when that happens, you can uh, you can come back to us and then we'll take another look at your award until it actually happens. You may know that when January rolls around, the situation is going to be a lot different. If you can paper it, if you can already, if you can already show um, what you're relying on, you know, sometimes there is you know, legal documentation, social security or something that'll say that. But um if if it's if you're anticipating that something's going to happen, like he's going to drop in income, generally speaking, unfortunately, colleges won't consider that until it actually happens. So I'm not sure I nailed that question because I'm not uh, that answer. But if you need me to clarify, just pop it in chat here before we go. Um, do you state the amount of assistance you're looking for when negotiating, or no? Uh, some people do that. I, I do it a little bit differently by showing the other offers that are um, competitive and asking them to match. Uh, but if you don't have that, you know, try, try you know, do your best. Maybe saying this is what we need, is, is it possible? Some, some, some financial aid officers want to know what's it going to take to get you to come. And some admissions officers also. All right, Yanka, do you offer hourly consultations on specific issues like national merit, finalist timing? Uh, I don't do hourly consultations mostly because I, I don't have any time to do that, but I am offering the freebies right now, which are 20 minutes, and um, from there you can decide either that's good enough, good enough advice, because I will, I will actually give you advice uh, as best I can and answer all your questions. And um, if you don't need further help, that's fine too. So just you know, there's that black button. You can click on that if you haven't already, or you can go to the website that I gave if the black button isn't showing. Um, Booklockwood.com. Question, do you help in planning how to legally shelter assets by starting a home business or do we need to engage a CPA separately? Well, um, interesting question. So it's really not that hard to start a business. I've done it many times. I used to practice law and I used to form entities for people. I'm not in that business of providing that specific advice. Uh, I always suggest to my clients that they have other advisors such as accountants because I'm not an accountant. I'm not even sure accountants are in the best position to tell you how to start a business, by the way, but they know that about the tax stuff way more than I will ever know. I know a lot, but I, I'm still, I still consider myself an amateur on tax. So uh, the answer is yes, but you should also have a CPA, um, particularly if you're starting a business because you may be able to take advantage of write-offs. So I refer a lot of my clients to my own uh, personal accountant, Rick, and as a matter of fact, this morning, Pearl and I were talking about a client who paid a huge amount of taxes and we couldn't believe it. And they had a huge income 
and they are still looking for loans because they don't have enough money after all the taxes. And she said, this family needs Rick. So for our own clients, we, we do actually make specific referrals for people. Kathy, how do you find out about merit scholarships? So merit scholarships, the way I understand the term to mean it are those scholarships that come from the colleges themselves. It's a little frustrating sometimes because sometimes they are a little evasive as to the criteria for um, what you need to, to have in terms of credentials to qualify. Sometimes they'll say a certain SAT or ACT score. Sometimes they'll say a GPA. Sometimes they'll be kind of vague, top X percent of your class, even though most high schools don't rank. So it's, it's a school-by-school, case-by-case basis, unfortunately. Um, I, when I'm advising clients and I'm trying to help them identify colleges that are likely to be generous, those suggestions largely come from my own experiences, my own databases that I keep. But I don't have a crystal ball and this stuff changes. You know, some schools that are generous one year uh, become not generous the next year. Aub uh, Aubrey, question, do you help write appeal letters if we're already that far uh, down the road? Well, uh, I don't do those as a standalone. I, I do, um, I have a course which teaches you how to write the appeal letter and then I will actually review it and edit it. But I don't take on clients just for that because I, I just don't have the time because uh, I'm too busy helping my own current clients who you know do one of our um, programs to, to be able to take the time for that. So if you're interested in that, you can go to appealsclass.com, A-P-P-E-A-L-S, appealsclass, C-L-A-S-S.com. Uh, all right, looks like we're almost done. So last call for questions. Anna, my second time got merit scholarships for music schools. Do we write to the financial aid office or the music school to try to appeal for more? We didn't get any financial aid except unsubsidized small loans. And should we appeal to the state school or all this is going to? He doesn't get any scholarship or aid except an unsubsidized loan. So part one, uh, it sounds like merit aid, right? So I wouldn't necessarily bother with the financial aid office unless they are not considering information that they don't know about. But I would appeal to the admissions people um, at uh, the music school. And for your second son, um, I mean, it doesn't hurt to appeal, to, but I don't know anything about your circumstances. So my short answer is, yeah, why not? But it's, it's only worth doing, in my opinion, if you have a shot. At, at getting something so can't hurt so I think that is everybody let me see here have any new ones come in I think we are done very good so if you want to talk that uh, offer is still open until we wrap up here and, and by offer I mean the little black button or booklockwood.com I think I covered all the comments Pearl thank you for your help with everything and I see some, uh, oh, okay, one more question. Joseph, all right. I'm a widowed single parent uh, trying to get more aid for my son. So I'm filing an appeal. Should I expect more aid or look outside the school if possible? Uh, I don't know if I can actually answer that question because I don't know what the basis of your appeal is. So I would do both. I would certainly you know, try to look outside the school for money. But um, I already mentioned before, if you're interested in taking our 
class and then getting my help with the appeal letter, I can certainly do that. All right. Have a great night, everyone. Thanks for uh, participating again. These are really fun. I'm going to take a little break for a while, though. Back-to-back webinars, a little, little hard for me. So um, so thanks for, uh, for coming along and sharing and getting the word out. Have a great night. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the College Planning Edge podcast. For more information about our Inner Circle Group Coaching Membership, which is a great way to dip your toes in the water, of the whole college planning morass um, and get access to our double secret software, College Guru software that helps you create a strategic list of colleges and identify fat, juicy, merit aid and need-based aid opportunities as well as some other benefits. Check out the Lockwood Inner Circle at lockwoodinnercircle.com and use the coupon code podcast for 50% off the first month's membership. Thanks for listening.